Our scripture passage this morning is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. If you would uh, pick up your worship, God, I know you've turned to Genesis chapter 2, but I want you to look just for, the, for a moment with me at the last verse of that song that we just sung, sung together. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. This morning we're going to be looking at relationships. But at the heart of the problem in relationships is boasting, pride, arrogance, wanting your own way, pursuing your goal for your life, longing for people to line up with your kingdom rather than your own. We as a people here at Christ Community Church, we are saying to one another this morning that marriage and and relationships at their very foundation must be an understanding of a right view of God. He is holy. And that man is sinful. And that Christ gave His life so that you might be transformed. At the very heart of marriage is a recognition of your absolute need of the mercy of God in Christ. When those things are at the center, when you are seeing your sin, every relationship in light of the cross, every view, every time you're offended, you are going to the cross, then you are seeing that there is no reason why you would stand up and look at people and say, well, you should do this and you should do that and condemn one another, but it calls you to humbly come before the cross, both of you, whoever's in a relationship together, and submit to Christ and be broken before Him and to see that it's your reason, the reason that you are in the situation that you're in is because of your pride and because you're not humble and because you haven't given your life over in sacrificial service to God and one another. That's at the heart of problems in relationships. This morning we are going to look at that together, but I just I want to start with that. We are not a people they are just going to say, here's five different reasons how you can make your marriage better. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. 
I can't give you five little things that you can help two selfish people kind of encourage one another in their selfishness. Christianity is about Christ and Him giving His life over and we are to look at Him and see Him in light of any human relationship. So as we start this morning, I hope that we start at that foundational level and then we're going to look at the pattern of marriage, look at how it's messed up, and see the fulfillment and the transformation that takes place when Christ changes you and He continues to work in you. You need more and more of the Gospel as a believer. I need to hear it over and over and over again. So as we get started this morning, let's just start and I'll just kind of give some thoughts about marriage. Marriage is in its very, like at the foundational level, is good. God speaks of the goodness of marriage. It is God glorifying. Marriage is for our good. Marriage is not easy because of the fall. Therefore, we need the work of Christ. Marriage illustrates the Gospel to the world. There are a number of things that marriage does. But today, we're not just talking about marriage. I hope you understand that. Sometimes when you start reading about marriage, they just talk about marriage. Marriage is the foundational relationship to all of human society. It is the foundational relationship to understanding our, our communion with one another. Our relationship with one another. It is the foundation for community. Marriage is that. It's foundational at that level. Now, I also think it's important to say that not everyone, particularly as we talk about living in a fallen world, but even, even more so as we just kind of try to think through things, not everyone's going to be married. Some people, for instance, will not be married because of the gifting and calling that God has on their life. Some are not able to be married because, or are not married presently because someone, they've lost someone very close to them. Some are not married at this point because God hasn't provided somebody for them to marry. I mean, that's just the reality. And some, because of, because of living in a fallen world and divorce, are not married at present. But this does not mean that there's not application for all of us today. And so I hope that you kind of see that basically you can look at marriage and then you can look at the overarching themes of relationships in general. Now, I think that's important that we see that and understand it. The other thing I just want to say, because we're looking at the pattern, every time in Genesis when we look at the pattern, we're looking at it with eyes that understand that stuff got messed up in chapter 3. And we're looking at it and saying, look, there's something Jesus is doing with that in Ephesians 5. We are not just viewing it. We realize we don't live in the pattern. Everything's not completely as it ought to be. So there's difficulty in it. It is two sinners in a marriage saying I do, and therefore conflict will come. It's just part of marriage. Now, the other thing just to say about it is in our culture, we have to read it and say, okay, where is our culture see the marriage relationship. One of the things, and I heard some people talking about this in the discussion this morning, is that most people live with an American dream mentality. And that means life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is at the center of everything they dream about. And so marriage to them is about fulfilling their lives and fulfilling their dreams and fulfilling their happiness. And I think it's important to say the biblical storyline doesn't follow that way. Marriage is not about you being happy at every moment in life. You will not be. You're not a happy person because you still have remaining sin within. 
And so at the heart of this, we have to say, look, even though our culture says marriage is about being happy and pursuing your own happiness and pursuing your own kingdom and pursuing your own fulfillment, at the heart of marriage, it is a sacrificial life. It is laying oneself down. It is learning to enjoy marriage as a sacrificial service to one another. I think we just need to see that. So as we're kind of moving through, hopefully that will help you as we go along. Our idea of love in America is an emotion that someone feels. But ultimately, the Scripture is certainly it's tied to emotion, but it is more focused on obedience. It is a choice to obey the Creator and Redeemer God and to obey Him by embracing marriage as what God intended. And that is it is good. It's really looking at marriage with the eyes of faith. Believing what God said is true. So all that just kind of get you started this morning to think through that. And let's start in verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. At the heart of this, what is He saying? It is not good for us to be alone. What is it, what's He saying here? God has created this whole world for Adam to live in, yet it is not a place for him to live in solitude. We live in a very lonely world. We live in a lonely world for many different reasons, but ultimately, a life of complete solitude is not God's design. It's just not. Living, You might say, well, I'm not married right now, but still, living in community, living in relationship with others is God's design. It is not good to live out there alone. It is not good to be a monk. It is not good to separate yourself and live on an island. It is not good for you. At the very heart of that is what we're seeing now. I just think it's important just to say that some people are... Uh, we, we have multiple reasons why this loneliness comes. And I, you know, it's just... Um, sometimes in this world, death robs us. It robs us of someone very close. People lose spouses. This next year in this church, someone could be in that situation. So there is loneliness in this world and death brings that. Sometimes there are people that are so horrific to deal with that they push everybody in their life away. They are lonely and all alone because they are people that alienate others. Another thing just to say about our world where it breeds individualism. And we've talked about that over and over, how our houses are built and they are closing us off. We have privacy fences and garages and locked doors and no front porch mentality in America. You are trying to get further and further away from people while God is saying we are to draw close to one another. But it is our temptation in this society to separate ourselves from that. To separate ourselves from human intimacy. But it's empty. The Scripture tells us that relationships are a mess worth making. They are. And they cost us time, and they get us dirty, and they make us mad, and all those things. But God has called us to pursue relationships. Now, at the heart of this, as we're kind of looking at this text, we need to see that God, for instance, at the very outset, He creates a woman for a man. Now, as He says here, notice, I will make him a helper fit for him. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, one person said she was to honor his vocation, to share his enjoyment, 
and to respect the prohibition not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I thought that was a helpful definition. She, the woman, would be created in the image of God. She is too an image bearer. As a helper to this man, just kind of looking at this text, this reveals her contribution to completing him. It's not that she's inadequate. She's actually bringing something to the table that he lacks, that he needs. It's, he needs her. And so we see that at the very outset, this is what God intended. Now, just something someone said also just kind of helped me. The help, the help that we're looking at here is not just his daily work or the procreation of children, though these aspects are a part of that. It also is the mutual support and companionship that it provides. She is a blessing to his life. She is bringing into his life something he lacks, so it is good. One of the things I've just thought about recently, when I'm preparing sermons all the time, sometimes I get so busy in that, like I read and read and study and write, and I'm just like, sometimes even on a Saturday, I'm like, man, I can't do this anymore, and I'm not ready for all, you know, all these different things. What comes with that is it can become like a job where I sit down and I'm just kind of plugging away and writing these sermons, doing all this stuff. And so recently, since we were studying rest, my wife humbly came to me and said, Are you, do you think you're entering into spiritual rest? Do you think you are really sitting before the Lord and enjoying Him? Are you, I mean, you're just cranking out another sermon or are you having devotional time in your life? What's she doing? She is coming alongside observing me. I've been mad for a week and she's looking at me going, something's going on here. Something's wrong in you. You need to set aside time. And I struggle with that. She provides emotional, spiritual, physical, and a myriad of other ways support. C.S. Lewis said this, and Anna has quoted this to me actually many times at different points. But he says, I just think it's interesting as he speaks of his wife, we feasted on love every mode of it, solemn and merry, romantic and realistic, sometimes as dramatic as a thunderstorm, sometimes comfortable and unemphatic as putting on your soft slippers. She was my pupil, my teacher, my trusty comrade, friend, shipmate, fellow soldier, my, my mistress, but at the same time all that any man friend, and I have had good ones, has ever been to me. At the heart of this is seeing the completeness that comes. This is God's pattern. This is what He designed for it to be. Now look at verse 19. There's kind of this heightened tension. It's as if Adam, and we see him doing this, he, God brings forth, forth the animals. And as he's sitting there, the animals are coming along. And God has given him the authority over the animal kingdom he is to fill the earth and subdue it. He is ruling over all that God created and the animals are coming to Him and He's naming them one by one. It's showing His authority over the animal kingdom and yet as He's looking at all those, the question is, is who is suitable for me? Who will be right in relationship with me? Who can I commune with? Who can I fellowship with? Who has the mind and the ability to communicate and the soul and all of those things wrapped into one? And the reality is, there was no one. Now notice what happens. As we see, the Scripture says, but for Adam there was not have found a helper fit for him. The tension is there. He needs something more. 
He needs an image bearer that will complete Him. He needs one that is like Him in every way. One who will be equal to Him. One who will be able to do what He is able to do to speak and hear and listen. All those things. And notice what verse 21 says. We move into the creation of the woman. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, it took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. It's interesting, if you were studying this text and you're kind of looking over, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 28, and we're not going to just read over that, but you understand the emphasis there is on procreation. They were to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. I think the emphasis here is we're going to see, as one author kind of notes it, is the nature of companionship. She, he needed someone to come alongside him. And, and I think that's extremely important. Now, Matthew Henry says this, and I put this on our uh, Facebook, I mean, not Facebook, it's uh, the city account this week for you to read if you wanted to. But this is what he says. Matthew Henry commented on God's choice of a rib to create Eve. Not made out, this is interesting, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Perhaps this reads a little too much into the rib, but it expresses the biblical image of this passage. She is coming out of man to come alongside the man. And notice what the man says in verse 23. The man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She is like Him. She is created in the image of God. She completes Him. All of these things seen. Now, what we're going to do as we kind of progress forward is I'm going to try to I read something this week, I thought it embodied it well. Look at four kind of major points that we see in relationship to marriage in this text. So the first one is this. And I think it's just important to note it because what we're going to see is he is naming his wife here. Now again, that is not saying, we, we could get into kind of authoritarian leadership that's a horrendous kind of leadership model, but ultimately the picture here is the wife is under the authority of the man. The Scripture says that Adam was formed first and then Eve. There's a concept, uh, I can't say it, a concept of headship here. She, she, she is named by Him. She comes after Him. That's what the Scripture teaches. And listen to these texts. 1 Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. When later in 1 Peter just kind of kept capturing this moment. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the Word, if some do not believe the Gospel, this is kind of this picture of a wife married, she really was converted maybe later in life, and her husband is not a believer. And the Scripture is saying, be subject to him, even if he doesn't obey the Word. Listen to what it says. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, you know what could take place? They might be one to the Gospel by seeing your heart for God and your love for God and therefore your love for Him. I think it's just important kind of to note that. Now, I want to read a little bit more of that text in 1 Peter. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are, basically it says, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. With regards to women here, what is he saying? And I'm going to get to men. Don't be freaking out if you're a woman. Be like, that dude, he's just wearing us out. What is he saying in this? He's saying that at the heart of this, the man is in the authoritative relationship. But again, we're not saying authoritarian. I think it's important to distinguish between that. Because God has designed man to to be in a way where he loves his wife as Christ loved the church. And we're going to kind of get to that as we move forward. But But I think it's just important to say this. A wife that is disrespectful to her husband is blaspheming God. I think it's that clear. Titus chapter 2 says, older women teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children in this way, and it's kind of this picture, so that the Word of God might not be blasphemed. That's powerful. God is calling a woman to understand that. And and I think it's important to see it. When a woman blasphemes God, when she speaks ill of her husband. Now, we could look at a lot of different relationships, some things where a man would need to be corrected and things like that, but I think it's just important to note that a poisonous heart towards your husband, a words that you speak against your husband, the way that you speak of him to others is a sin against God. And whenever we say, for instance, in our culture, where we kind of say, well, sometimes we can put together and say, well, I I go to church and I go to this Bible study, I do this and I do that. But at the heart of it, obedience is what God is calling us to as women in a relationship and we must deal with it. And, and, And we must not harbor bitterness, but we must embrace God's design and love what He has designed and do it as to the Lord. I just think that's important to say. The second thing, look at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The union between one and, uh, husband and wife, or there's a oneness there. There is a one flesh union. You know what this pictures? Marriage as a covenant. Marriage as a covenant. Now just kind of capture this because I think it's important to note. Marriage is covenantal. It is, this is what takes place. One author says, In the history of Israel, a covenant always entailed a relationship with a non-relative that involves obligations and is established through an oath. Marriage does not confirm an existing relationship. It takes this existing relationship between man and woman when they are engaged and brings it to an entirely new level. It establishes a new state of affairs with new privileges and new responsibilities. When man and woman come together in marriage, the, the idea there, it is a covenantal relationship. And in that relationship, it is to be honored. It is to be held uh, close to your heart. You understand, they are a part of my family and I'm a part of their family. It is a, a, there's a unity there that transforms all other relationships. It changes every other relationship in life. The commitment 
is so great that this is what the Scripture says, let the marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous person. He is holding it to a high regard. We are to protect marriage. In Matthew 19, when Jesus is speaking about the subject of divorce, He is addressing that and He's saying, look, God did not design it in this way. God designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment to one another. And I just think it's important there's a permanence in it. When we think about covenant, one last little thing. When we study like the Scripture and we see one kind of developed, and often we even see it in our own like wedding ceremonies where there's like this center aisle and the bride is coming down. The idea there often in, in, in the covenants in Scripture, we'll see that they'll take an animal and cut it in half. And they'll lay the two pieces side by side and the two parties would walk through. They make covenant obligations. They say, I'm committed to this. And the other person says, I'm committed to this. And as they walk through, the idea is that God do so to me if I break this covenant. May God split me in two if I break this covenant. It's a very vivid picture. And so marriage at the heart is covenantal. It is focusing on that. It's permanent. And it's important to see that. Third thing that we see in this text, I think it's just important, is a man puts his wife's interest above all others, even his parents. Now, what's interesting is that there were people in Jesus' day who would just kind of like leave their parents out there to like starve to death and, and, and stuff. And that's, it's not saying that we don't still have an obligation to our parents. Exodus 20.12 says, Honor your father and mother. It's in the Ten Commandments that your days may be long upon the land. You know, it's, it's an important thing to see. But there is a relationship that trumps even parents. And it's the relationship of husband and wife. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. The calling upon the husband is to lead out in this. He pursues a relationship with a woman and as he does, he is, they are coming to form a new relationship. He is to cling to his wife. He is to turn away, if need be, from his family to preserve his relationship with his wife. He understands that his marriages, marriage transcends mommy and daddy. And that's a problem. i got a friend right now that he involved, he's involved in a lot of problems in marriage, and he was saying this is at the heart of many struggles. There are many children who will not cut away from their parents and it causes horrific things. There are parents who even proclaim to be godly who are stepping into a marriage relationship and causing trouble within that marriage relationship because they do not believe the Word of God. The Word of God says you are to make a new family. What's interesting is even in the first century, often they would build a little room off from the house of the parents. The wife would come, live with the, the son and his parents. They would have their separate room. And how much even greater is the picture there? That they would still say this is a distinct group. Also, we would say this, a husband in that, that means he has a responsibility and obligation to provide for his family. That is his, his God-given role. He is to provide and protect in this culture, it's a disgrace to see men not doing what they are called to do. You are no longer living on mom and daddy's money. 
you are establishing your own place. And therefore, the obligation for the marriage is that you would provide for that. And we're going to look at that later in Genesis chapter 3. That they would uphold that and they would provide for their family and they would be responsible in their marriage. Jesus demonstrated for the man what His role in marriage should be. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He goes and dwells on the cross. He watches Jesus give His life for an undeserving bride. He lays down His life in sacrificial service. He understands, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. His pattern in life should be how might I serve my family and give my life in sacrificial service to them. It's it's much easier for a wife to submit if she loves the Word of God to submit to a man who is pursuing with all of his heart a desire to love his wife as Christ loved the church. You are not designed to be served, but to serve and give your life as as really an, an offering of service to God. And as you do, you're serving your wife. It's a very powerful and vivid picture. This is not coming home and sitting on the recliner and watching TV while people serve you like a king who's got a kingdom who has subjects. Jesus' picture of a king with a kingdom is a suffering servant going to the cross. Is that clear? And so it's important that we picture that fourth thing. Just kind of keep moving here through this text. It may be noted that God created only one Eve for Adam. Not several Eves or another Adam. The picture here is that God did not design a life of polygamy. The Scripture brings that to clarity. He designed one man for one woman. Now the reality is, in a fallen world, people die. But we say, until death do us part. It's not saying that someone could not remarry after that. There's a myriad of things we could talk about in a fallen world, but God's design is one man for one woman. The idea in our culture where some people out in in the West would have multiple wives is not God's design. It's not His intention. The other thing, God does not permit homosexuality. And we need to understand that. He is not saying Adam and Steve, as people say. It's not that way. That was not God's intention. God's intention was a monogamous, heterosexual marriage. This is God's design. Man, one man, one woman, that is what He has called us to. And that is what He expects of His people. Anything else is a perversion of God's design. Verse 25, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I just want last little thing about the pattern of this marriage as God intended it and as God designed it. The pattern here. What's taking place? When it says they were naked and not ashamed, is this like a nudist colony? I don't think so. Not quite the same, right? It's like, oh, let's all really embrace this. Everybody come not clothed to church. What do y'all think? 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Don't do that. I'd be like, oh, no, good night. What kind of people are coming here? No. The idea here, what's implied here, is that, that, that there is a natural tendency in sinful people, as we think about it, to hide from one another. You will see after the fall in Genesis 3, they're going to go hide in the bushes, but they're not just hiding from God. They are hiding from one another. It is the natural tendency of sinful people to, to have shame and to want to hide themselves. The idea here, the picture in this text, is that they are spending, there, there's such an intimacy there. There is a unity there. There is a fellowship there. There is a oneness there. There is no hiding there. There is complete disclosure. There, it is a relationship in full, complete harmony, and we'll look at that as we move forward. Even next week, you you meet sometimes people who spend their lives trying to. It's almost like the way that sometimes married couples get together is this: they will begin to hide from one another, and they're separating from one another, and they are trying to clothe themselves so that they could just play silent treatment. Or they could go and say, well, I'm never going to spend time with my wife. I'm just going to go out and live my own life. They're hiding. They're separating. There's a picture of oneness here, of unity here, of a, of a relationship that God had intended. So this morning, as we kind of conclude this, marriage is a good thing. It is for the glory of God. It is for the good of humanity. It is for the good of people in general. It is good. But the reality is we live in a fallen world and marriage is broken. And so the Scripture teaches us that Jesus came and He saved us. He saved us from wanting to hide. He saved us from living our lives for ourselves. He saved us so that we could love our wives as Christ loved the church. He saved us so that a wife could submit to her husband as to the Lord. He has rescued us. By His Spirit, He is empowering us to embrace marriage at a greater level than we have ever understood it before. And He is a calling us to that. The, the, the work of the Gospel, Jesus giving His life in service to us, it, it's, it's like the model for marriage. It's not only the model, it's the means. It's the means for marriage. The power that comes that comes through the saving work of Christ in our life. The power of the Spirit moving within empowers us to do it. Everything about the cross of Christ not only models, it empowers us for it. All of that is seen. Jesus came to save an unlovely bride. And marriage is to picture what Jesus came to do. Your marriage should be a Gospel message to the world. It should model a picture that when people look at you, they see a loving wife who submits to her husband. When they look at you, they see a man who loves his wife as Christ loved the church. That is so astonishing to a world that that will drive them to something is radically different with these people. And you could say, Jesus transformed us. And even, I think it's just one last little thing about that when we think about marriage, just to see two people who are sinners saying I do, confessing their sin, and loving one another in a way of a covenant marriage is so astonishing to a watching world. This should be the pattern for us. So as we conclude today, I just encourage you, if you are here and you're not married, you say, well, this wasn't for me. It is for you. It really is the pattern for all relationships. 
And we need to see them. There are certain things that are distinct, but there are many things that are the same. We need to also say just this morning that, that there's something about this that's preaching the Gospel. Some of you here today may not know the Lord. I, I'm convinced of that. And you've never seen the, the spiritual work of Christ on our behalf. Hopefully today, you've heard that message. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I encourage you to turn to the Lord, to embrace His ideas of life, to see what God says the way things ought to be, to see how Jesus gave His life so that we could be transformed and renewed. All those things are so clear to us. God has been so gracious to us for us to see, and I hope we'll respond rightly as a people. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You that You have not been silent. We thank You that You have spoken to us. We thank You that You designed marriage as a beautiful picture of not only the unity that You have within Yourself, Father, Son, and Spirit, but also as a, as a means for us to embrace and see and understand the Gospel. I pray our marriages would reflect that. I pray that men and women here who are living in disobedience would repent today and be reminded of the grace that's been given in Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.